This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Are you ready for hashtag blessed? Where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess. Joining me for hashtag blessed today is my husband, original sad king on Instagram. Seth, I wanted to talk today about, I just read this article uh, by the Smithsonian and it says, what emotion goes viral the fastest? Hmm. And it found that anger is one of the fastest emotions to go viral. It looks at this research by Jonah Berger, who's a marketing professor at Wharton School. And he analyzes 7,000 New York Times articles published within a three-month period. And he was looking to see which of these articles would go viral fastest. And he found that the one emotion that went viral very quickly was anger, which should surprise nobody. And that anger is an activating emotion. It makes you want to do something with it. And so it just got me thinking, what do you think about that? Should we as Christians be using anger because we know it will get a response. Yeah. So I'm sure that many people out there respond in anger for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Some do it because they genuinely are upset. I think some placate it a little bit in the sense that they act like they're a little bit angrier than they are because they know that's going to get a response. That's interesting. A performative anger. It's a performative anger. And I I think it's also interesting to clarify that what is really behind the anger? Let's say someone genuinely feels angry and they respond in anger or that's what comes out. What is behind that anger? Because that is described as like a secondary emotion. And so Mm. it was their fear behind that. Is there uncertainty? Is there hurt behind that? And on the other side of that, right, to flip that coin, rage, as I was looking at earlier, would be considered different than anger because that would be considered a primary emotion, Heather. So they say you getting cut off in traffic and you experience rage, that's your primary emotion. Hmm. So anger seeks to conceal something. Rage is quite different. So what are we seeing online? Anger and rage? What do you think? It depends on the situation. And I agree with you that there are legitimate things. Let's be honest. Mm. It's it's gaslighting to tell people you shouldn't be mad about this. There are legitimate things sure. right now happening all around us that make us angry. 
-hmm. There's legitimate, I think, pain, especially as it relates to our Christian church context for a lot of people that makes them angry. And so my fear personally in using anger, and I think that you can when it's sincere, when you feel like you've put that down before God and you still feel like, no, I'm, I'm going to say this. My mm-hmm. fear though, is when you use it, like we talked about to pander mm. the crowd, because you know, it's sure. going to play well. You criticize somebody because you know that there's a lot of people, misery loves company sure. will jump yeah. on that bandwagon. And it gives you this type of platform that's yeah. really just based on anger. And I do worry, let me ask you this. I worry about the culture that's being created when we all bond over what we hate. That scares me. And I think that's really like the heart of this discussion. Is this a blessing or is this a mess? And we're trying to understand that. That commonality, that disagreement with something online, maybe it's a social issue that you're advocating for or better pay, whatever that looks like. And An so, actual yeah, injustice. Yeah, like something that is really tangible that human beings have the ability to change because we know that throughout the course of history, that's only how things change mm. is we advocate for them, right? So we know that. I wonder if we're just stuck at times. At least I'm, I'm talking to myself, not other people. I wonder mm. if I get stuck because I don't want to move past, I would say, more petty things. And so... I will seek to create a a circle of people to validate me because I don't want to let that thing go. So let me do a little tweet about this because now (laughs) I can hold on to this for a few more days. But there's definitely a distinction, Heather. There's definitely a classification of of where that lies. Yeah. I want to just end by reading this quote from this article, which I think is really fascinating. Listen to this, Seth. It says, the one emotion that they found that outpaced anger in Berger's study was awe. Mm. The feelings of wonder and excitement that come from encountering great beauty or knowledge, such as a news report of an important discovery in the fight against cancer, awe gets our hearts racing and our blood pumping, Berger says. Mm. Last line of the article, this increases our desire for emotional connection and drives us to share. Powerful. Powerful. So... Anger. Should Christians be venting and doing angry tweets online? Is this a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. We have come to our second to last episode in our six week pod class on healing. And I felt like it would be an excellent idea to make sure that we talk trauma by sitting down with someone who has dedicated so much of their life's work to helping people heal from trauma. Sheila Wise Rowe has a master's degree in counseling and is active in local and international healing and reconciliation ministry. Sheila has over 25 years of experience as a Christian counselor, spiritual director, educator, writer, and speaker. Sheila is the author of Healing from Racial Trauma, 
and young, gifted, and black. I met Sheila at a writer's conference and her spirit was just so warm and inviting and serene. Truly the Holy Spirit is all over this woman. I didn't even know she was a therapist and within minutes of talking to her, I found myself pouring out some really personal struggles that my family had been going through in the summer that I met her. And she was just such a blessing to my life. And I just know she will be a blessing to you. So I like to open every interview by doing a little digging on the person I'm talking to social media platforms. And for you, I pulled this quote that was on your Instagram, Sheila, and it's actually from your book, Healing from Racial Trauma. You say this, the Lord is familiar with our trauma. So we can submit our anger to the Lord and confide in others we trust before and after it turns to rage. As we do this, we discover that our anger and rage can be transformed and used constructively as fuel for positive change. Talk to me a little bit about that quote. Yeah, um, I think that oftentimes when we are, you know, confronted, whether it's the injustices that we see all around us or whether it's even um, interpersonally. Uh, and we have some options on what do we do with that. And oftentimes we feel we're alone, that, you know, God is nowhere to be found in this. And um, and so we need other people. We need to have that understanding that we actually can go to the Lord, um, mm. just like King David did. He lamented. He said awful things about his enemies. <laughs> he right. wanted God to do certain things. And um so God isn't afraid of our anger. Mm. And so we can go to him with the anger, with all of the hurt, the pain, the frustration, and know that he meets us in that place and that he can inform what that, what's it, what does he want to do with that? He says just, you know, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so when we entrust that to him, um, we allow him to, have his way. And sometimes it does involve engage us, but other times it doesn't. It's an element of surrender and of trust that he is going to work this out and that he is in fact at work in this. Where do you think we learned this idea as Christians that we have to bottle up pain or anger or resentment and not show God, even though of course we know God knows, but I know for me that has been only in the last couple of years of my life have I been able to feel like I can go to God with those things. Where do you think we learn that we're supposed to bottle that up before the Lord, the one place we should go with it? Yes, yes. I when I think about my own life, I think very early on, Sunday school, we just there was this picture that was kind of painted of who God is. And it's true. God is just, he's righteous, he's holy, he's all of that. But also he calls us his children. Mm. calls us his own. And I think that I certainly didn't learn that. Like, what does that look like for a child who feels so safe in the presence of their parent, they can go to their parent and express their anger, even at the parent. Wow. And we didn't learn that. It just wasn't a part of what we learned in Sunday school, that this is the kind of God that 
you know, that loved us so much, that wanted to redeem our lives so much that he was willing to send his son to die on a cross. Like that's how much he loves us. Mm. Um, and in that, he is with that level of love and care and compassion that he wants to hear that us, the whole story. The whole good, bad, ugly, all of it. Um, because that's the nature. If you think about real relationships, real relationships are those that um, that really are real and deep and rich, are ones where you can share your whole self um, and, and know that that person meets you in that place. And that's who God is. It's interesting that you paint that picture. I just finished a book by Daniel Goldman called Social Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how as children, he like draws this narrative of this little girl who goes to her dad and she's upset with him for something. And she says, I hate Mm -hmm. you. And he goes, well, I love you. And she goes, I hate you. And he goes, well, I love you. And she goes, no, I hate you. And he scoops her up and he goes, well, I still love you. And how that interaction is how children learn what unconditional love looks like. And I thought about myself Mm -hmm. If I've heard my child say, I hate you. And I say, you don't talk to me like that. Go to your room. And that picture, what you just said, it just brought it all together to me of, no, that is what God does with us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, um, yeah, growing up, it just really felt, you know, a lot of rules, pretty rigid. And so that sense that we could be angry was almost like, you know, it was like the, the, uh, the sin uh, that was going to just sever our relationship yeah. with, with God versus God is very patient. He's kind. All those fruit of the spirit like exhibited in God, um, that deep love is patient. And he, he knows the end of the story, you know? Um, and so often we're reluctant to be open because I don't know if we, we tiptoe around it because we think, okay, this is like the, um, was it the cardinal venial sins, the different kinds of sins in Catholicism, but there's a sin that that's it. It's done. Your relationship with God is cut off. And um, when at any moment we have access to him, we have access to redemption, healing, um, but we, we do need to come to him just as we are, just as we are, not dressing it up, pretending, but just as we are. I said this on the top of the show, but I just want to say it to you, to your face, because everything that you're describing about God, I just want you to know I've seen in you. And when we first met at the University Press African American Mm -hmm. Writers Association Mm -hmm. Conference, I sat next to you and I found myself within minutes (laughs) sharing with you things, Sheila, truly, I don't talk about at all. With anybody outside of my family. And they're so you are a therapist. You work in spaces of trauma. And you are honestly, you've been called to this work because there is like the image of God is so clearly seen in you that you just feel like a safe space. So I want everyone who's listening who maybe isn't familiar with you before we get into our conversation on trauma just to know. Man, follow Sheila. She is such an important, wise voice and also somebody who really exemplifies the work that she has given her life to. So I'm just honored to have you on the program today. Um, But I'm hoping you can share with us first, what is trauma? What is this and what does it mean to be trauma-informed? That's such a buzzword today in our culture. Um, You know what? The reality is that we we all have experienced trauma on some level. Um, A lot of my work is 
more recently has been around racial trauma, but historically Mm -hmm. it's been trauma in general and working with all sorts of population, kids through adults, couples, all that. But trauma really is that we, we experience these things that range from what they call little T trauma um, to big T trauma. And so big T trauma being really huge traumatic losses, it mm-hmm. could be a car accident, it could be something really devastating that we personally experience um, and also some, I would say some vicarious things have happened even more recently that I would put in the big T trauma category. So the murder of George mm-hmm. Floyd live, mm-hmm. that's a big T trauma. So those of us who watched it, it was very traumatizing. And then you have little T traumas, which t- tend to be a little smaller, not as difficult. Um, but these negative experiences, what happens is that our bodies and our minds respond and there's a lot of work about how we hold trauma in our bodies. And, mm-hmm. and if we don't release that somehow, um, and, and I would say it's both. It's both our mind, uh, three things, spiritually, physically, mm-hmm. and emotionally. I feel like we can hold trauma. And um, it starts to affect our relationships. It starts to affect our, ourselves, our bodies, our ability to sleep. Um, we have a short fuse. We're... Um, frustrated easily. We're dealing with depression. We're dealing with anxiety. Um, We're struggling with addictions. And all of that, we're trying to navigate, like, what do I do with what's going on internally because of what happened? It was so traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're dealing with racial trauma, it's often, it can be a big T trauma, but it can be these cumulative little T traumas that really add up. And science is saying that actually can do more damage than like a one big T Mm -hmm. trauma event. And so um, I think that people either have this backlash around the use of the word trauma, like, oh, yeah, everybody's traumatized. Um, but the reality is really right. about what that has done to that person. So we can't judge that. I can't mm-hmm. say, well, that wasn't traumatizing. Maybe it wasn't traumatizing to me. But for that person, that experience, we don't know that person's whole life, the whole story. Mm-hmm. And so that one incident may be part of those, what we perceive as a little, a little T trauma, but they've had multiple layers. And so what we're seeing in terms of their reactions and, and some of what we see on social media where people are just, their hair is on fire and just kind of not sure what that's all about. And it's because they've been carrying a lot for a long time mm-hmm. and, um, and there's a need to offload that. And, um, and it can be not just individuals, but we can also talk about communities and not mm-hmm. just in the U.S. And we certainly saw that in 2020, where we were seeing eruptions everywhere. It wasn't just the U.S. It was across the world, mm-hmm. where people who had been pushed under, pushed down, it, they were given permission to actually share. And even more recently around Queen Elizabeth's death, like their, you know, Black mm-hmm. Twitter, Irish Twitter was like, it was crazy. Right. And I think that part of the issue with trauma, too, is that if there's no one there acknowledging that your trauma happened, and then you have on top of that, not only are they not even acknowledging it or seeing it, but then they're denying that it's even relevant or should be in the discussion. And so when we look at what happened around the world in 2020, and more recently with Queen Elizabeth, is that people who have been denied their voice or the reality, their felt reality, their historical reality, 
than to see something presented as in that's not what that is, you know, or this is a wonderful person. Yes, mm. wonderful queen. However, there was a lot of damage that was done by the monarchy. That's an understate understatement. And so right. what ha- what bubbles to the surface is this wanting to deal with that pain in, in any way possible. And sometimes the quickest thing is anger to try to exert that and get it out. Talk to us about your book, Healing from Racial Trauma. Yeah. Widely read book. What were some of the reactions to it? Why did you write it? Yeah. So I started writing in 2018. I think that's what people don't realize. It didn't just 2020. It's like, this is the time to write the book. We were living in South Africa from 2005 to 2016 and then came back to the U.S. in 2016. So we came back and it was crazy time here. (laughs) We just Mm -hmm, thought, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I grew up in Boston. I was bused to school. And so for me, it really felt like something had changed. Something Mm -hmm. had shifted. Um, And maybe because we're up north where people tend to mask a lot in terms of how they feel about different racial ethnic groups. But it felt like the wheels were off and people were just saying and doing whatever. whatever. Mm. And then I was noticing with friends, family members, and even myself, as more and more incidents were happening in the media and just, just this agitation and this sense of fear that I felt like was really mounting. And just this sense of really feeling like God was saying, okay, I want you to speak into this space right now. Um, and it wasn't just about this moment in time, but I had, you know, I'd been working in the field for decades. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not unfamiliar with all kinds of trauma, as I said. Um, but this specifically was focusing in on racial trauma, mm-hmm. which, you know, I've had clients in the past who are um, BIOPOC clients and they were experiencing this and, and having to work through that. Um, but this was different. It was more of a bigger global yeah. or community trauma. And so I did a proposal and submitted that in 2018 and IVP ended up picking it up. And so fast forward to, and I, I've said this in other interviews, but I was initially upset because I wanted, I thought IVP was going to release it in the fall of 2019. Mm. But they were like, no, we're going to release it and we're going to release it in January of 2020. And and I feel like it was clearly was God's timing. Yes. Because, you know, it was literally like, okay, I, I think the first month it was like slow going and then oh, it just erupted in terms of people buying the book and, and many, many people, lots of feedback of people just saying it was extremely helpful. It was healing for them. Um, it brought awareness for them. And I think the other piece too is that because the book is not this just binary black black and white issue, mm-hmm. it really was looking at the way in which racism affects black, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, um, biracial, this across the board. Mm-hmm. And so just the stories that were shared and just the journeys of um, of the individuals just really met so many people where they were at. And so I'm really grateful for that. And, um, and I, and I would also just say that in my, my book, it really, I, I, my hope is to continuously point people to Jesus Amen. continuously. And I have been 
a practicing therapist. I'm actually not practicing now, but I know that therapy works. And yet I, I also know when Jesus is involved. Mm. And um, and I've experienced like a, a going deeper and a, a really getting at the core issue quicker when Holy Spirit's involved. How has your work in trauma care impacted how you see an experienced church? When we look at trends like we see today with so many, especially young people, walking mm-hmm. away. How how do you see things perhaps a little bit differently because of your work and the conversations you have? Yeah. You mentioned earlier about trauma-informed, and I think that that's one piece of this, is, okay. is that, um, you know, trauma-informed assumes that everybody possibly has experienced trauma. Okay. So we want to treat everybody in a way that really respects that reality, that they're going to need compassionate care, there's going to be a welcoming and a safe enough space for people. And I think that what young people are not finding in many cases is that very thing, Mm. that a lot of it can be about performance. Um, There's been great works recently about about celebrity, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that we can focus on that and the razzle-dazzle, but it's empty. It becomes empty after a while um, because we're just, it, it all, it's like we go to Sunday and it's a performance mm. and people want relationship. And I think that what came out of 2020 and the and COVID and the lockdown is that it was this time for people to pull back and to reflect and to say, well, what is it that I really want? What do I need in my life? Who do I need in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases where people have just been going to church because that's what you do on a Sunday, they've then reassessed, like, well, why am I going? Yeah. Um, when it really should be about the body. It should be about connecting with the body. Yes, getting into the word, but it's it's both of those things. And then so people are like, I can get, you know, relationship connections at the gym. Right. Why do I need to come? Why do I need to go to church? Um and so I think that that's, that is going to be an issue for a while. Significant number of young people left because of the last administration and just everything that occurred. And so there's a lot of backlash around um, Christianity. Some folk were like, all the things that you taught me in Sunday school, that's not what I'm seeing right now. Right. I, I'm actually seeing the opposite of that. The things that I was taught about you know, loving your neighbor, being kind, um, being respectful, just all of that went out the window. And so I think for some in, in the white evangelical church, it really was a questioning of like, well, what, what was real then? You know, because I was taught certain things, but now I'm seeing the churches totally doing the, the opposite of that. Mm. Um, and so not knowing what that, and then we have churches, black as well as brown churches who are, well, is... Christianity, a white man's religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is based on, because of a lot of history has been withheld from us, that there isn't a sense of, okay, you know what, Christianity's origins were on the continent of Africa. Right. Okay, so let's get real there. Mm-hmm. And actually, Rome came later mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, then owning it, supposedly, but... Mm-hmm. Let's look at the real origins of it. And um, so there, there are many voices that are now out there that are saying, you know what, 
let's look at the real origins of, of the faith. Um, and I think that is helpful. And then I think as far as the ones who have left, because they can't, there's this disconnect. Um, and so they are, there are churches that are more intentional about, you know what, we, we are really, our reading of scripture around how do we care for the marginalized, the widow, orphan, alien, um, the poor, like we're going to prioritize that and we're going to prioritize Jesus. Um, those are ones that I think that are not losing as many people. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. We are in the middle of a six-week pod class on healing right now on Viral Jesus. And I wanted to ask you what steps you would recommend someone take to begin a journey toward healing from racial trauma, especially when there are triggers everywhere that you can't control, right? For a lot of people, just going to work is a trigger. And then like we just said, for a lot of people, just going to church again is triggering me. So how do we heal in a world that's so sinful and so broken? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I think first and foremost, uh, you know, our relationship with the Lord has to take front and center because we can't be shaped or formed by what is going on outside of us. And that's a hard thing. When you've um, had church hurt um, where you've been traumatized, I understand that that could be difficult. And so that requires then who can come alongside me and gentle, you know, very in a gentle and compassionate way, sit with me while I'm in my place of confusion or, or not wanting to go at all, or just having, that person or those people who will meet me just where I'm at and care for me. That, that's, that's a central place. Who gently point me to the Lord, um, not as a pat answer around relationship, that ultimately all the crazy stuff that is going on out there, and we ourselves, if we're able to, need to begin to look at, well, what actually is good that's happening out there. Yes. Like we've got to hold that tension. Um, you know, my the second book that I have, Young, Gifted, and Black, and the, the subtitle is the, um, it is this journey of lament and celebration. Like that is life. Mm-hmm. And so where's the places where 
there is joy, where there is celebrate. Like we have to have, they can be very small and tiny, but we've got to recognize those things as well as if, if our eyes are so fixed on just how horrible things are, it, it's a pit that we just go down and, um, and I'm not talking about denying what's happening. Right. I'm not. To the degree that we need to be engaged in activism, yes, absolutely. But we have to know, because there is beauty out there. Mm. There's beauty in people around us. There's beauty in nature. There is beauty in a multitude of experiences. And whether it's reading a book, um, whether it's having lunch with a friend, but we have to have those things while we're dealing with this stuff. And we've got to know where boundaries need to be. Like, there's, there are points where we need to shut down the computer, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> turn off the phone, turn off social media, and just take a break. Because if we don't, it starts to color our own, our whole world. And I remember, you know, the thing was at, at IVP's event yeah. where you talked about the brain skewing towards the negative. Yeah. That's how our brains work. Yes. And so if we continuously feed ourselves negative stuff, that's all we're feeding, like, or that's the vast majority, we're just going to constantly go there. And so, you know, if we're struggling with depression, the last thing we need to do is to be enmeshed in social media and getting those negative messages because the algorithms are going to feed that. Yes. They know, like, that's what you're you're interested in because you've checked, you know, you've uh, gone and looked and took a peek and... So now that's what it's going to feed you. And then you're going to start to think, well, the whole world yep. is totally like this. It's gone to hell in a handbasket. Yep. And, you know, and that in, in some ways, yes, but no. Yeah. So right. having the boundaries um, to know when to pull back, um, that is so important. When to rest, when to have these moments of reflection. And, you know, some people talk about rest and um and reflection and say, well, you know, that's a privileged kind of position. But it, it really isn't because the reality is even though someone may be working at a job where, you know, it's very low pay and they're having to work maybe multiple jobs. But even in that case, I would say, where are the places where you can pull back, disengage, even for a moment, even for five minutes, even for like walking home from work or walking to work. Like where there are moments along the way. And um, and I, I think of my mom who she she passed away in June, the end of June. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, yeah. We she were did. talking about your mother at the conference. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And so that I, I think about her, you know, when she she was really heavily involved in her church as a missionary. It's Pentecostal church. And they would have their, their services would go on and on for hours, like four hours. And then they would, they would have um, midweek services, but all of those were moments I think for her and for a lot of the men and women in the church moments to stop and rest, reflect, and even to exert some of that. So a lot of the work around trauma is talking about, you know, getting that stress out of your body yeah. Um, so it's not affecting you and, you know, you're not, these prevalency of, of diseases like are reduced and, but you go into the church and there's people dancing and it's joyful and loud and, um, mm-hmm. and then there are moments of quiet and just, it's, it's a wonderful space. And I think for, for her and for many who go to those kind of churches, but churches period are finding church as a moment a pause and of uh, reflection and of getting quiet. And so that is, that's absolutely essential as well. Something you just said that really struck me essentially is that we can, 
we can get some of that energy out of our bodies through praise. Yes. Which has never occurred to me before. So I really thank you for saying that. That's something that's going to stick with me. But something else you said when I first asked you, how do we start our journey towards healing? Your immediate response was having somebody journey with you. And so I'm curious because I do a lot of work in relationship. That's what I'm passionate about. How important is relationship or community in our healing, in our turning that anger into something positive and transformative. Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. Not everybody has mm-hmm. access to right. community. But one of the things that we did find out during COVID is that there's so much available online. There really is. Yes. And in ways that people didn't realize before. And even for me, like I always thought like, oh, I'm never going to do online counseling or groups or any of that because I just, I need to be across from people. Right. <laughs> um, and then, it, you know, it was like, you don't have a choice. You can't be across yeah. from people. <laughs> <laughs> and what I found was that, wow, you know what? Okay. I still would prefer to be across, this, across from somebody. But what I saw was that people felt met. And I think particularly mm. the younger generations, they are so used to being online that for them, I think it almost feels like they're in person um, with someone. And particularly when you have, have someone on Zoom, you can see their face and their expressions and all of that. And so, so what I want to say is, yes, having that community is important and you can find it around you. Like who are those people that um, you know that you can be real with? And you, so you kind of use a lot of discernment about that, um, that they are people that not just you're going to take from, but you, you're also, it's a two-way street, you know, with them. Yes. You have something to contribute as well. Um, but if you can't, because of any number of reasons, there are lots of places to go online. And including if, if there's a need for you to see a therapist, you know, if you feel that, you know what, there are things that I want to be able to share with someone who I know they're going to keep my confidence. I know they're not going to, it's not going to affect how they think about me afterwards. Lots of online therapy um, platforms have risen up over these last two years. And so there's opportunities to actually tap into those as well. Um, And so community is really helpful. And I think this is someone who, you know, I think the importance too about relationship is that there's actually another person, live person, who can then kind of mirror back to you what they see, like the growth they see, the changes mm-hmm. that they see. Um, they can mm-hmm. be there as a support to really encourage you. They can help hold you accountable. And again, it's mutual, hopefully. Um, but those are really central. That's important. Um, we can always pick up books and do things on our own. And there's healing that happens that way as well. But it's wonderful when it's when it's relational because we're relational people. We were created that way. I want to ask you because there's some words that we're seeing all the time right now. And so I'm curious for your professional opinion on how do we recognize when this is the actual, because you know, words matter to me. Words mean yeah. things. So I get nervous about people saying things in a broad yeah. stroke. Um, So I'm hoping you can give us some better understanding of these definitions. One of them is the word toxic. How do I know when I'm actually in a toxic environment? The other one is gaslighting. What is gaslighting? How do I recognize it? I just want our people to have the tools of what these things look like. So uh, with gaslighting, it really is this sense of 
this person, I'll give an example. Someone has an experience where um, they are saying, I'm going to use Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> it's a perfect example. Okay. So what we're seeing is we're seeing this picture of this amazing woman, wonderful mother, just the head of the market. That's the only person they've ever known who's been queen in many cases um, there. And so people are weeping and they're really upset. There's a reason. Mm-hmm. The gaslighting part is that then there's this whole other group of people from Ireland, from uh, parts of countries where they were colonized, African-Americans who you know were enslaved, who are not feeling that. And they're saying, mm-hmm. wait a second. What we want to say is that this is not the whole picture of this woman's life story. But, but that is like squashed. So people are just saying, well, you need to respect the dead. You need to, basically, we don't want to hear your story. We don't want to hear your voice. You need to just shut up and let her have her moment. Um, and, and actually, that is what you're seeing in the media. That's the whole truth. And so gaslighting, in one case, you come away thinking, okay, am I crazy? I mean, because you never, you didn't, mm-hmm. you didn't ever read anything in your books about it. But you've heard stories, you've experienced it because it's post-colonial, but still affecting your country. But nobody's talking about it. Nobody's acknowledging that reality. They're actually presenting a different reality. And so it can Mm. be very um, disconcerting. So in some instances, if someone's at work and an incident happens and they bring it up and it's like, well, that's not what that person meant. And it's just like, okay, you know what? The person was blatant. That's what they said. They said what they said and they meant it. (laughs) And oftentimes, again, needing other people to have other people that we can go to to say, you know what? This happened at work. Am I crazy? And I'm using that that word crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm using it in a broader sense. Um, But, you know, and and you start to question your reality. Like uh, maybe... Because the, everybody's telling me I made, you know, I'm making a big deal out of this. Um, but to have people you can bounce that off of, to recognize, you know, what you're being gaslit. Mm. <laughs> and do you know the whole story about why that term came into being, gaslit? No. Yeah. So there's a movie called Gaslight, and in okay. this movie, this man marries this woman, who, uh, in this, and they have this particular house, and in the house, I think it was this woman's aunt's house. Uh, there, there are jewels somewhere hidden in the house, and he believes that they're in the attic. So he marries this woman, and then he proceeds to say, "Well, you know, something's going on in the attic. You can't go up there, or whatever." And over time, like she's starting to hear things at night when he's supposedly out of town. She's like, "What is going on? I, I don't understand." Lights are flickering, which is saying somewhere else there was a light that went on. Then the man throughout the movie goes about presenting things to make the woman think that she's crazy. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. he's trying to find the jewels. And so she's saying, but I'm hearing noises. He's like, that's not, no, you're not hearing noises. Well, well the thing on the mantle was there. The painting is slanted or it's missing. It's like, no, that's not it. And so that's where the term comes from, gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Was, I think it came out in the 40s. Yeah. Okay. And what about toxic? How do we recognize when our relationship is actually toxic or our church or our community? What are some red flags we can look for so that we're using that word appropriately? Yeah. You know what? I I think that it's too broadly used and that Uh 
when you think about something that is toxic, it's often it's often not just oh, I, I ingested this poison and then I immediately have a reaction. But sometimes something is toxic and like the air could be toxic or the water could be, and it's just a cumulative over time kind of thing. And so I would Mm -hmm. say that the better definition for toxic from my perspective is that where, where have you seen over time, like multiple incident after incident after incident. Too often what happens Mm -hmm. is there's one incident and then the person, the institution, the church or whatever is labeled as toxic. And it's just like, wait a second, let's let's peel this back, you know, because an individual behaved in a particular way. Is it really that the ter- that whole church is toxic or is it this one incident mm. where this happened? And so I think we have to be really careful about how we throw that term around. Um, but toxicity is is over time, but it's also like present. It's like there's no repentance. You know, turning around. There's no repair. It's just like gaslighting is often a part of it. It's d- denial that that's what that is. You know, there's a controlling. People are in pain and hurting. They're not being listened to. They're being shut down. Um, it it also could be there's a picture of like oh you know everything is fine when everything is not fine. And but and it's not just a once off. It's just it, you know we can see that thread kind of running through the life of that church or the life of that individual or that Mm. relationship. Sheila Wise-Rowe is the author of Healing from Racial Trauma and Young, Gifted, and Black. You can get either of these books. You should pause this episode right now and get it immediately wherever books are sold. Sheila, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time where social media has so many negatives around it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of their communication, of their faith, both online and off. My question for you is, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online yeah. space? Wow. Um, you know what? I have to say that it really requires some intentionality. It's easy mm-hmm. to get sucked into things. And so... Yes. Um, really weighing out and being prayerful about, is this this a conversation I need to be a part of? (laughs) Do I need to interject myself Mm. into this particular conversation? Um, And because you can easily feel like, and I have felt that, like I should be saying something or doing something when in fact, what I need to do is to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do in this moment in time? Mm. Um, How can I bring light into this. And sometimes it is hard truths that need to be brought into a situation, but I'm prayerful about when, when to do which and how to do it. And um, because ultimately, you know what, God is still on the throne. (laughs) He really is. That's not a pat answer. It's real. It's reality, you know? And so I, I want to, whether I'm contributing something and bringing, saying some hard truth or whether it's reminding people about life and joy and all of that, I, I want people to know that ultimately there's a God on the throne who loves them. And, and the thing that he requires of us is to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Sheila Wise Rowe is the author of Healing from Racial Trauma and Young, Gifted, and Black. You can get these books wherever books are sold. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. So what can we learn in our fifth pod class on healing from Sheila Wise Rowe? Number one, everyone experiences trauma. Everyone. Some trauma has a capital T and some have little T's, but trauma and suffering are a part of our human experience. Number two, in general, toxic environments are environments or relationships that have patterns of poor behavior. There's not repentance or accountability and the negative behavior continues to poison the well you're trying to drink from. So in these experiences, we are looking for patterns and not just incidents. Number three, healing happens in community. As much as you are able, look for community to help you process your grief and experiences. Healing is a journey and we will need relationship to guide us. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we sit down with my husband, Seth Day, and we will talk about healing from relational rejection. Seth and I have a book that I'm so excited about. It's called I'll See You Tomorrow, and it releases on October over four. And you will learn so much from him as we sit down and have this conversation about our experiences of rejection and relational pain. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.